Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, it's me, the Comeback Coach. Guys, I just want to tell you about a person in my life that is truly, truly amazing. And she's actually changing the world one house, one home at a time. Her name is Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. She's the founder and chief encouragement officer of Homes Are For a Living, The Hoarding Solution, which is a veteran-owned and operated business. Tammy provides virtual consultations and workshops on the issues of hoarding. She believes in inspiring others to take their adversity and use it for the greater good. She is the voice of AKOPTH, adult kids of parents that hoard. She is also a voice and advocate for our, of, for YLITH, Youths Living in the Horde. You can connect with Tammy at homesareforliving at gmail.com and on Facebook at Instagram at The Hoarding Solution. So guys, if you know anybody that's struggling with ho- any kind of hoarding issue, please reach out to Tammy she has a heart of service and she truly cares about people. All right, guys, remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. Another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. If you're like me, always looking for self development, always looking for, to learn how to be peak performance in life. Physically, mentally, spiritually, this is going to be a great episode. By the way, guys, make sure that you leave a review or leave a comment. We are actually giving away an interview on this show. You're going to be interviewed by me, and it's going to go out to up to 1.4 million people for free. All you have to do is put a, leave a written review and subscribe. I got guys, we're going to have some fun. Get a pen and paper out because Coach Papa is going to drop some serious knowledge on you. Coach, what's up, brother? Hey, life in the fast lane, and I'm still getting past. There you go, man. It's like being <laughs> Autobahn, right? That's right. I, I was in the Autobahn at uh, one point when I was in Germany uh, with the military, and, and I was driving down. And I was in the third lane, not quite the fastest lane, and I saw a set of headlights uh, back. By the time I looked at my speedometer and back to the mirror, the guy was driving by me. And uh, I always think about that. I was going 135 miles an hour, and this guy passed me like I was sitting still. I love that. So. Yeah, I actually got to drive on the Autobahn in 1986 on an M1 tank. So that was pretty <laughs> cool. Everybody blew by us, but everybody stopped, was watching us. So that was pretty cool. So it's tell me get... a little bit about uh, where you're from, where you grew up, and what kind of little boy was little coach. <laughs> That's Well, I was a perfect child. Uh, there's no no doubt about that. I yeah. grew up in a small town uh, called Sutherland, Nebraska. It's out uh, on the western end of the state. Uh, how small was it? I graduated fifth in my high school class. I didn't make the top 30%. Um, we went from kindergarten to senior high school in the same building. <clears throat> so when I say small town, and I grew up on a farm about six miles outside of town, five or six miles outside of town, we raised uh, cattle, pigs, chickens, and then farmed mostly corn uh, and alfalfa hay. 
but it was, a, it was about a thousand acres that we farmed total. So it was a uh, it was a pretty busy, productive life growing up. Now, were you an athlete? Did you play sports? Um, I think you would consider I, I was a, a very high level athlete. I had three state championships in four years of high school, once in football, twice in track and field. Um, so I was, uh, and my favorite sport was basketball, but uh, the coach and I didn't get along. So I think I learned, learned my lessons on how to be a coach from watching him how not to be a coach. Now, you know, I've talked to a lot of coaches on here and some of the best ones said, you know, when they went to go recruit these, some of the kids, you know, they were teaching them how to be men and women and not really so much worried about the X's and the O's. Is that you? That's, that's been my, my career. I, you know, I've always said I teach life. I just use sport as a medium. Um, and, you know, there are some people out there, you know, well, no, you're just a coach. It's just about winning. Well, no, it's not. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I was at a meeting one time and the superintendent and vice superintendent of schools for this particular community were in there and they were threatened to hold the, <clears throat> the community hostage over a referendum. If the referendum didn't pass, they were going to drop all extracurriculars from the school system. And I, I looked at the superintendent and I said, uh, have you ever seen that show? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? And she goes, oh, yeah, I love that. So, so then you know that we don't remember anything you teach us in the classroom. But I will guarantee you everything I teach on the athletic field translates it into life at some point in their, in their existence. And uh, she kind of bowed her head and they stopped using that as a, a threat over the school. The referendum did eventually pass. But the, the soccer field, the football field, the drama club, the, the marching band, I don't care what it is, what extracurricular activity, those are the places where you really learn how to cope with life. Now, did you, uh, because you were a good athlete, did you get any scholarships for college? I had offers uh, for scholarships at the end of my freshman year, uh, or I'm sorry, at the end of my junior year. And then my first football game my senior year, I had my knee um, pretty pretty much destroyed uh, for competing at, at that level. And I decided to join the United States Army right out of high school instead of go to college. Uh, I eventually got my college degree at 44 years old as a, uh, you know, as a, a parent, a National Guardsman, and, and, and a coach. I went back to, to night school and graduated from Columbia University in 1998, I believe. So now talk to us about, you know, obviously, you know, a 23-year military vet, National Guard, and, reg and regular Army time. Talk to us about the day you walked into the recruiter's office. <laughs> well, let's, let's give you the whole story. Uh, the, uh, that night when my, my knee was destroyed, I lost hope for my college. Uh, December 9th in 1972, my friend Todd Chesmore asked for a ride to the Army recruiter's office, and I, I told him I'd, I'd give us in North Platte, Nebraska. And while he's signing his life away, I'm sitting in the waiting room. And I noticed this pamphlet said Fitzsimmons Army Medical Center in Denver, Colorado is the orthopedic center of the United States Army. And I shouted across the room. I said, hey, sir, could you put me here? And he said, uh, son, you sign this contract. I'll put you anywhere. And that was my, uh, my focus to get this knee fixed. Well, I signed the contract. I became a military policeman. I got stationed in my first uh, assignment on active duty at Fitzsimmons Army Medical Center in Denver, Colorado. On my first day of duty after basic and EIT, I went up to that fifth floor to check out the orthopedic clinic. 
And this cute little redhead was sitting there. And I thought, if I get to know her, I'll figure out who fixes my knee. Uh, make a long story short, they never touched my knee. And I've been married to her for 46 years. Wow. Every, every action we take, every decision we make has future implications. So uh, I went to the Army recruiters to give my friend a ride. I had no intent to join in the Army that day. Now, how many years did you do in the military? Uh, three years active, uh, three more years in the active Army Reserve uh, out of Rockford. I got out for a couple of years, and in 1983, I came back in a National Guard unit in Woodstock, Illinois, as the E-4 Company medic. Uh, that next year, I went to the Officer Candidate School. Uh, after a 14-month program, I graduated as a distinguished graduate from OCS, and four years commander of that same unit. A um, couple of assignments at brigade, uh, back to the academy as a senior drill instructor, senior attack uh, officer for OCS, and then another company command or two, and then retired 21 years, four months. What rank did you retire at? As a captain. Um, I was slated to be the next provost marshal for the 33rd brigade at, at one point. Um, but they offered me another company command, and that's really where I, I thrived, was at the company level. When you put me at the, uh, the upper levels, the battalion brigade, uh, I wanted to hurt people. <laughs> and it's, you know, I just, just keep, me, keep me with the soldiers. That's, that's where I was, I was best off. I would, even there, I was a coach. You know, you're, you're always a coach. You're always uh, looking to help people uh, thrive and survive. And I was better at that at the, at the company level. I had more impact uh, than I would have had at the, uh, at, at, at the higher levels. Yeah, because sometimes when you get to those higher levels, it's like, all right, whose ass can I kiss next? Next, you know, it's it, yeah. If it, it stops being about the troops, and it starts becoming about about numbers, pretty much about, a big inspiration. About my future, you know, most of those guys up there, they're you know they're major trying to make lieutenant colonel, lieutenant colonel trying to make colonel, and so it becomes very competitive. And uh, take nothing away from it. I mean, that competition is how the, the cream rises to the top. But I just, I didn't see myself at that level. Now, what, because you were, because a lot of people don't realize how hard it is on a person um, to be a, a, a citizen soldier. A lot of, they don't realize that if there's ever a wedding, anything good ever happens, it's going to be on your drill weekend. <laughs> Absolutely, it will. I, uh, my, I was there for my son, my youngest son's birth uh, on July 14th, 1982. And I was not present for another birthday until he was 14 years old because his birthday landed right in the middle when we were always at annual training. Um, of course, it didn't help that I was a, um, a highly motivated National Guard soldier, which meant I went to my own company's annual training and then I would go support uh, the NCOES schools, uh, NCO, uh, non-commissioned officer, educational schools. Um, and so I'd go support them and then I'd get a call, can you do this? And, and I, I got to do a lot of fun things that I can't really talk about it as well. Uh, so it was a, uh, I would spend eight to 12 weeks Every year, when most National Guard soldiers spend two weeks in the summer and their weekends, I would be active eight to 12 weeks 
Um, now, what kind of job were you holding down at the same time? I, I was, oh, at that time, I was a uh, maintenance super supervisor in a chemical factory, and then I moved up to a uh, uh, manufacturing supervisor, OSHA safety coordinator, and eventually became a plant manager. So I was in industrial management concurrent with my military management career, uh, both growing at a crazy rate. So now when you finally decided to, it was time to hang it up, what did you do? What was your, because now, you know, I, I was talking to a young gentleman. He's a retired, he just retired as a, um, a police officer. And he's like, you know, when I, when I retired, I can no longer anywhere. I couldn't find anything to get my adrenaline rush. What, what did you do when you got out? Well, I was still coaching uh, high school athletics and middle school athletics. So I was athletic programs. Uh, so that just translated into more coaching. Uh, so the, the time that I spent, I moved into the club uh, world of soccer. So if you're familiar with club coaching at all, you know, you were four nights a week, five nights a week, as well as uh, Saturday and Sundays uh, during season. Then the off season, you're always trying to, you know, get your team to the next level. So in the world of uh, coaching picked up and hit the slack. It's just like the people I work with in the uh, in the financial world when I was in there. Well, when they retire, they say they're busier than they ever were. And it's like every time I let go, you know, I, I graduated from college all those years of night school. I'm like, oh, I'll have more free time. I had less free time. I'll retire from the, the National Guard. I'll have more free time. Again, I had less free time. Yeah, but, then it's like, hey, who has time for work? You know? That's right. Yeah. If it wasn't for all these clients and, and vendors getting in the way, I, you know, I'd actually get something done. And you also at one time, one point was a radio talk show host. Talk to us about that. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, a friend of mine uh, said, you need to meet this guy, Kent Jones. Kent Jones was a, uh, uh, he was in the mortgage department of, of a bank at that time. And, but he had had a radio show before and he wanted to start a new radio show and he was looking for a partner. And he had tried to get the two of us together on June 14th of 2016, which is Flag Day. Uh, there was a mixer, uh, a Chamber of Commerce mixer, and I, I went to it and I asked them if they were aware that they had this mixer on Flag Day and would they mind if I did a, a short flag presentation. Uh, so I do a, a recitation of uh, Johnny Cash's Ragged Old Flag. Uh, so I did that at that meeting. Well, Kent happened to be in the meeting. And he came up and he goes, man, that was a, that was amazing. You're, you're Tim. We're supposed to get together. I said, well, let's have coffee tomorrow. So we got together and right away we clicked, uh, you know, that this is going to be a great, a great show. We just got to come up with a name with, he's also a coach, a basketball coach primarily. And, uh, you know, we're going coffee with coaches, coaches clutch. And then he looked in the, uh, the plate glass window that was right there and saw a reflection. He goes, how about two bald guys and a microphone? At that time, uh, we were both completely shaved, uh, shaved heads. Uh, so we we launched two ball guys and a microphone on uh, September fifth, twenty sixteen, and over the course of uh, a, a three year run, we got up into the area of one point two to one point five million listeners. Um, now that morphed into its own radio station, 
um, where we brought the show onto the station, but then opened a, his internet station, opened it up for other shows as well. And at that point, I was putting so much time into uh, the radio that I had kind of stopped pursuing what I really love, and that's you know being on stage, uh, being live and live presentations. So at the end of 2018, going into 2019, um, I they bought out my portion of the radio station and I went back live in 2019. I logged close to 60,000 air miles, uh, traveling around speaking on servant leadership and other topics. And, uh, life was going great. And then a pandemic came along. <laughs> and I, I love, you know, something I love. And cause when I interview somebody, because I'm, I am 80% blind, but my, okay. but my hearing has improved so much that I, I actually hang on each person's word as they speak. And, you know, you've talked about um, servant leadership at, th at least three times already. Um, and I love that because I just interviewed a guy and, and a friend of mine, Manny, a, a couple minutes ago. And he has a company called, um, he does from, from orphan to CEO. And it's all through servant leadership. Um, so please talk to us a little bit about the servant leadership. Well, when I first uh, was going through negotiations with this uh, this company that I was speaking for, um, I told him, I said, you know, there really is no such thing as servant leadership. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, it's just leadership. Leadership, by definition, is serving. Management, by definition, is being served. That's the biggest difference between the two. She said, well, I've already marketed at servant leadership. So if you're working for us, that's what you're talking about. <laughs> and I said, you know, all right, you know, the message will come across. And, and while I uh, admire what he's doing and saying, I truly believe that as a leader, you are a, a, automatically a servant. So the, the term servant leadership is redundant, but it does get through and connects with people. Because as a leader, our job is to serve our um our employees is to serve our uh, our students, our athletes, to give them everything they need to be successful. And sometimes we miss that message, especially in our, our management courses in our colleges. We forget, in, in universities, we forget to teach them the importance of, of being a true leader. And it's not about the next rung on the ladder. Those rungs will take care of themselves automatically when you do all the right things, when you're leading from a, a position of, of strength when you're working with people to develop them. You know, a, a manager has a very difficult time developing the people under them because he's fearful of his job. But a leader is constantly developing people under them because they know they're, they're going to be moving on someday and they need to be prepared to take it over. Uh, so in the, in the world of, of leadership and servant leadership, it's just, it's uh it's a critical connection. It's all about relationships and building relationships. And that's really where my whole practice has gone over the time outside of the athletic field, coaching and the world of business and life is teaching people how to manage relationships uh, because that is the, the crust of leadership. You know, and I'm a, I'm a big relationship guy. Uh, I believe that, you know, I, I would rather, build generational relationships and, you know that's me it's you know like when i usually have somebody on my show that's after that is when the relationship just begins and i'm into like i said building generational relationships 
So talk to us, you know, because about you know, I was the, the team leader in the military, and like Zig Ziglar always talked about, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Absolutely. So talk to us about, you know, even in a coaching sense, caring about these people, and and usually they they know that you care, they will literally run through a brick wall for you. Okay, absolutely. Care about it. So talk to us about that. Well, and I started off my morning this morning at the Zig Ziglar Corporation every Monday morning from seven to seven or seven thirty to eight o'clock. Uh, uh, kick off uh, devotions with Zig Ziglar and the family. I've been the keynote speaker at that uh, uh, program four times, and I've got one coming up in about five months. We're all keynote at the Ziglar Company on on the finish line on a, a new presentation that I've been putting together. So when you put that name out in front of me, you you know you really touch a chord. Um, and having said that, could you rephrase <laughs> the uh, question? I'm just saying, you know, because you were talking about relationships and, mm-hmm. and relationships, especially it. in coaching, in the military, in business, it's all about relationships. Absolutely. Uh, as an athletic coach, I wrote this this poem several years ago. It says, "Coach me, coach. That's all I ask." Help me to improve task by task. Don't yell at me or scream or shout. It alarms me, so I'll shut you out. If I've done wrong, I'm the first to know. Teach me, coach me, help me grow. You are the coach who can help me win. I'm the student. I'll say it again. Coach me, coach. That's all I ask. Help me to improve task by task. And it doesn't matter if we're coaching athletically, if we're coaching business, we're coaching life, we're coaching in the military as a team leader, a squad leader, a a platoon sergeant, a platoon leader. Um, it, it is all about finding out where people are, finding out where they want to go, and then helping them, you know, build a plan, put together a plan on how to get there. Uh, I, I can sit up as a coach and I can look and I can see the mistakes that you're making. And I can come in and I can tell you how to fix them. But if you have not understood yourself or you don't have a willingness to change then all of my coaching is lost. So the real relationship and the communication comes when you can convince or help some guide someone to a point in their life where they realize they need to make some changes. Once they realize it, now the sky's the limit on what we can do. Uh, I had a, a young athlete by the name of Brady, and Brady could perform the Maradona move in soccer uh, I won't go into the old explanation, but it's it's a move that you use to get around a defender, uh, developed obviously by Diego Maradona, and uh, he could perform it perfectly. And he he did it in practice all the time and embarrassed his teammates constantly. But he would never use it in a game. Game, you know. I said, okay, Brady, here's the deal: if you use the Maradona move in the game today, anywhere, I don't care if you use it. I'll do 20 push-ups. However, if you don't, at the end of the game, you're doing 50 push-ups. And he said, all right, coach, I'll do it. So we're about eight minutes into the game. He goes to perform the Maradona. I see it coming. And the problem was he was about six yards in front of our own goal when he did it. And he actually missed the second part of the move, which undefended right in front of the goal. And an opponent came in and just tapped it in for a score. Now, Brady looked over at me like, that's why I didn't do it, coach. Let me, Brady, just play. We'll talk a little bit. Uh, a few minutes later, when it was time for Brady to come out, 
uh, a, a normal rotation. He came out and as he got closer to the sideline, his shoulders slumped. And he's like, oh, coach, I'm so sorry. I go, what are you sorry for? He got out and I got down and did my my 20 push-ups. He goes, coach, they scored. I said, I don't care. That wasn't part of the deal. The deal was do the Maradona and you did it. He said, but I, but I blew it. Yep, you did. But you know what? You've broken the seal. You're going to go back on the field in a few minutes and you're going to use the Maradona once, twice, maybe even five times, but one of them is either going to wind up setting you up for a goal or setting you up for an assist to a teammate that's going to get a goal. He goes, you really think so, coach? I said, I know so. And he went back in that field, and it wasn't five minutes. He used the Maradona move, got around a player, scored a goal. We wound up winning that game four or five to one. And the point is the belief in, in the person. He knew he was ready, but I, he needed me to just be there and encourage him. Uh, now I have a standard with my athletes that when we've been working on a particular move or a skill and they perform it well in a game, uh, they have to run over to the sideline and pat me on the back and say, good coach. Uh, and that's just, you know, continues to build that relationship that, that it's the bond between us that allowed them to perform that skill. And, and uh, you know, like I'm a big sports guy. I'm a big, I'm a big sports freak. I'll, I'll watch documentaries on coaches and, and athletes and some of the greatest athletes, you know, they succeeded a lot of times it's because of their coaching and they wanted to be coached, you know, like um, I'm a big Tom Brady guy. I don't care what, you know, what team and everything. I'm a Dolphins fan and he always kicked our ass. So, but <laughs> I respect the person because, you know, he still gets there two hours before all his teammates. He still stays an hour late after all these games. And the reason why he said he went to um, Tampa Bay he wanted to be coached up. So yes. with somebody that's won seven Super Bowl, their main goal in life is to be coached up. Who is Who are we not to have coaches? And a lot of people don't realize, you know, coaches have coaches. You know, and, you know, like Mike Tyson would have never been Mike Tyson without custom auto. It was because his coaching and his, you know, his training. So talk to us about, um, you know, because you know that there's certain people, there's certain uh, players that you have on your team. They're, I call them dogs. You know, mm -hmm. those are the guys that they'll go out and get you that that hard rebound. They'll go get you that. They'll go get that foul. You know, they'll go get. You know, they'll do do the dirty work. And then you have the prima donnas that don't want to be coached. They know everything and they have the natural skill. So talk to us about the difference between working hard and hard work. Well, there's a uh, one of my outlines that I have. I haven't written the book yet, but I've got it all outlined, and it's pretty much written in its mind. And that as I'm winding down and retiring from coaching athletically currently, it's going to be one of the books that I write. And the title is going to be From the End of the Bench, because from the end of the bench is where the best coaches come from, not the ones who are in the game. I mean, you can count on one hand the ones who were the the stars who were good, great coaches, the the Bill Russells and um, Jerry West. Uh, most of the coaches had to work their tail off just to get on the bench. And from that and from the lessons they learned, they became great people and eventually became great coaches. 
Uh, I talk all the time about um, the star philosophy, the star philosophy, the five points of, of my coaching philosophy star uh, at the head of the star. If you think of a five pointed star that you, you draw with a pencil that creates a pentagon in the middle of it, uh, the top point is knowledge. The arms of the star are sportsmanship and a winning attitude. The base of the star is physical fitness and individual skills. And it's my role to pick each of those legs of the star and, and bring them together. But that pentagon in the middle is desire. It's the desire that pulls the points together. Each arm of the star is divided into a pack, parent, athlete, coach. These are parent responsibilities. These are athlete responsibilities. These are coaching responsibilities. And as we draw this together, the athletes who have the desire will excel eventually in my program under each of the points of that star. But those who show up and just, you know, want to be coddled and, 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 and kissed because of their, their, you know, their wonderful talent. Attaboy was clearly one of the best soccer players on my team. He wasn't starting for me. He wasn't getting a lot of playing time. His dad came to me and uh, he said, why isn't my son getting more playing time as, as dad's will? And I said, that's a great question. And I'm going to answer it in two days. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you're going to come to practice tomorrow, but you're going to be where your son cannot see you. You're just going to watch practice and you're not going to say anything to him that night at dinner at home after practice. The next night, I want you to come to practice. I want you to sit in the stands where you're clearly visible to him. He's like, I don't understand. I said, if you'll do that, you'll understand. Well, the next day he came and his, his boy is just being a classic jerk. He always is. He's half running his wind sprints. He's you know, half participating in the drills. And then when scrimmage time comes, he's just running around and owning people and, and uh, you know, doing his own little thing. The next day, when his dad is in the stands where he can see him, he's my little personal helper. He's helping with the freshmen. Uh, you know, he's, he's running over. He's busting and winning every wind sprint. About halfway through the practice, his dad walks over and he says, I got this. I said, I don't think you do. He goes, what do you mean? I said, what do you think the problem is? He said, well, he's, uh, you know, he, he's not working hard. No, it's nothing, nothing to do with it. He said, you have not given him to me. You're still coaching him. You're still talking about him. You've been his coach all his younger years. It's time for you to let him go. If you'll let him go and come to me, I will turn him in, not just to all conference, but all state athlete. He is that level of talent. But as long as he's going to be a jerk, he's not playing on my team. And uh, that came to, to truth. He was MVP of the team. He made all state honorable mention. He uh, went on to a, a very successful college career. But it comes down to the point that, that they have to, you know, just as I spoke about change a few minutes ago, they have to want to be coached. And when they were, just like your story about Tom Brady, this guy's Brady, this guy's the limit. Um, but if they're just showing up on their their own talent, those guys don't last very long at all. Look at all the the Chicago Bear quarterbacks <laughs> who who came out of the draft with a ton of talent. And, uh, where are they all now? Yeah, and, you know, and they always say, you know, hard work beats talent that doesn't work hard. A absolutely. Now. You know, you know, like we're talking, you know, coaches also need coach sometimes. So when you're when you need the coaching, who do you go to? Rex Second Lively. 
Uh, Rex Eckley was my high school uh, football track coach and the chair of the mathematics department. My school, Rex was a big guy, six, 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 seven. Uh, probably at his, his peak, a biscuit shy of a 300. But he was the man who cared for me and, and drove me and helped me to become the athlete that I was. And before and after every, um, every season, or if I'm struggling with an athlete during the season, uh, he's a guy I call. He still lives in Imperial, Nebraska, and uh, just a, a wonderful man. And he's uh, he's been my mentor, my coach, my entire life. So now um, you're coaching, obviously, and you you still love it. But you know, sometimes you know we you can take the game out of the coach, but you can't take the coach. Out of the game. So, <laughs> well, I said, or I said it backwards, I think. Well, yeah, but you're correct. They have 12-step programs for alcohol, for gambling, for sex. They don't have anything for coaches. You know, it's uh, it, it can be an addiction, uh, especially when you look at the adrenaline junkie coaches, uh, the Bobby Knights, and, you know, some of these guys who, you know, uh, you know they've kept their doctors wealthy by uh, their antics on the sideline. Uh, but when you understand true coaching, uh, one of my favorites of all times, and say what you want about him, is Phil Jackson, uh, Dean Smith from North Carolina. Uh, these guys, his calm demeanor, they winning, losing, you could hardly tell by, by looking at him, uh, but they coached. Um, maybe not during the game, but they, they took everything in and said, all right, you know, these are the adjustments we need to make. These are the things we need to do. This is what we need to do to build a team. Uh, Dave Rigby. Dave's one of the guys I coached with for years, and Dave always had a very calm demeanor. Um, one day I came, got to practice uh, to see him screaming at the kids, you know, and sent him off the field. <laughs> I thought, wow, he had a bad day. And I walk over, he's got a big smile on his face. Like, what was that all about? He says, sometimes for lack of crisis, you have to create one. And it was just a great coaching move that caught the kids off guard. Uh, we know it today in psychology as pattern interrupt. Once we get in, you know, in too clear of patterns, um, you know, we, we fall prey to weakness. And interrupting the pattern gives us strength. And, and David taught me that a number of years ago. Um, and now it's, a, it's funny that you talk about, you know, Mr. Jackson. Um, you know, I'm a lifelong Los Angeles Lakers fan, always have been, always will be. Um, but, you know, Dennis Rodman is my all-time favorite player of all time because he would do the dirty work that nobody else wanted to do. He would work twice as hard as everybody else and not even care if he scored a point. But Phil Jackson knew how to talk to Dennis, just like the coach of the uh, when he was in Detroit. He knew how to coach Dennis, where the coach – in San Antonio, didn't know what the hell to do with Dennis. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes, like you said, you know, you have to each go to each player. Like, you can coach Jordan one way. You had to coach Pippen another way. And you had to coach Dennis another way. So, you know, talk to us about that. Sometimes you have to talk to each player a different way to, yes. to hit their pain point and their motivation. Well, absolutely. And it doesn't matter if it's athletics or if it's business. Each 
person, each human being is a unique individual. And that unique individual has different motivating factors and different things that inspire them or drive them. And in order to find those, you have to build a relationship with them. You know, going back to our earlier conversation, um, I've, I've coached over 5,000 athletes. And while I've met athletes who are similar to a former athlete that I've coached along the way, they're all still different. And finding out that, those unique buttons, it takes a while. You know, one of the big differences between coaching men and women, girls and boys, a boy, when he's done well, he loves to be pointed out. You know, he says, uh, yeah, John's the MVP of tonight's game. He did a you know, wonderful job. He had two goals and assists, but that defense he had over in the sideline, that's what really sealed the deal for, for him. And the rest of the guys will pat him on the back, say, way to go, John. On the flip side of that, if you put that kind of praise for a woman uh, or a girl athlete, you know, Sophia had a wonderful game tonight. Good job, Sophia. You know, you, you accomplished this, this, we got two goals, we got the assist, uh, that defensive play you had over in the corner, same thing that John did. But now the problem is the girls are all looking at her with jealousy. Oh, uh, how come she can do it and we can't? How come coach talks to her? And it becomes a real issue. You have to know the, you have to know the individuals. You have to know what makes them, them tick. You know, for one, it might be an ice cream cone. For another, it might be a, uh, a free pass to the, the gymnasium. Uh, each, each and every athlete is a, uh, is a special person, and, and we have to know how to communicate with them at their level. And if we don't take the time to know them, we can't do that. Now, I know I interviewed a coach last month, and he, he, they went, he went up to um, NCAA coaching, so he was high-level coaching. And he said, you know, there's a difference between, like you said, coaching girls, you know, co coaching women – and coaching men. And he says, if you ever get a chance and there's five women and they all agree on the same thing, you're in trouble. He's <laughs> like, cause they, they can do anything if they're all in sync. And some guys, you know, like you could put like, like in my Lakers team, you know, there was a time when they, they put, you know, they had Carl Malone, you know, they had um, Gary Payton and they tried to put all these superstars together. And they could not work together. Yeah. But then, like, sometimes my friends, my coach said, if you put five women together that have the same goal, you're not going to be able to beat them. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Well, that's the women's U.S. Uh, soccer team. Uh, you know, and their success for so many years was they all had the same exact purpose. They were all in the same rhythm constantly. And they just, they couldn't be taken down. Uh, the world has kind of figured out a few things. You know, they just, whether uh, they third in the Olympics, um, this, this past Olympics, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, having coached both guys and girls, people always ask me at time, you know, which would you rather? I said, you know what? It's just different. It's not that I would rather. I have to, pers I, I have to be different. With guys, I have to be the alpha male constantly. You know, I have to, at, at times, take that, that hard leadership role. With girls, on the flip side, I have to communicate at a very high level. I have to, you know, know their captains have got to be involved in every decision. And it's just, it's just different, and it takes, it takes work. And to excel at it, 
um, you have to be somewhat psychotic, <laughs> to, <laughs> to be honest with you. You know, you have to be able to switch your mind in a in a moment. I'm, I'm coaching guys today. This is how I need to act. I'm coaching girls today. This is how I need to act. Or you know, breaking down to. I have I have an athlete right now who battles some anxiety, and if I raise my voice too loud, um, he, he he breaks. And so I, I've learned to take him right to that edge. And then I, I walk over and I say, all right, you know, take take two deep breaths, take 100 steps, and come back, and then let's get back in the game. And that works for him. Um, but if, if I, I don't keep that hard line, a lot of the other athletes around him don't, um, don't respect him as much. And he's getting stronger and stronger every day. And he's becoming, you know, a more integral part of this team where – uh, just a few short months ago, they were, you know, I, I wouldn't say ostracizing, but they weren't fully accepting of him. Okay. Now, you know, I, like I said, I've talked to a lot of high level, um, you know, Navy SEALs, Delta Force operators, professional athletes, eight, nine figure earners. And they all have that never quit. You know, I'm going to, you know, like, like if you're going through selection process, you know, if you, you don't, there, people were thinking, okay, I'm going through hell week, but I mean, I'm either going to die or I'm going to pass out, but I'm not going to quit. Right. So what, from all the people, you know, you said you've, t- you've coached over 5,000 athletes. What is the one thing that you would say the great ones did? What was the one, that one trait that they all had? Um, I go back to one of my favorite athletes of all time. And that's what I've always tried to coach these people to be. And that's Walter Payton. Walter Payton would run over and smash you into the ground. And as soon as the play was over, you'd reach up and say, you all right. And that's that level of sportsmanship, that ability to go out and play hard to the whistle and then immediately reel yourself back in and, and, and say, Hey, great play. You're right. Cool. Um, those, the greatest athletes along the way are the ones who will, when they're on the competition field, they're going to give it everything they have. But when the competition is over, they're able to reel it in. I've had athletes over the years who, you know, the, the game's on before the game's on and the game's on after the game's over. And that, you know, they continually live in this world of conflict and, and almost, almost a level of hate for their opponent. And I, I think the healthiest thing we can do is, is respect our opponent to the point that we are not going to, we're not going to go easy on them. We're not going to go light. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're both athletes and we can both shake hands and agree that what we do is the, the greatest thing in the world. So if you have an athlete, because like I said, I love getting into mindset. I'm a big mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially that's why I love Mr. Z- Mr. Ziegler. I just love them and the whole family. Um, but when you get into mindset, you know, if you have a coach, if you have a kid and they're playing not up to their ability and you know they can do so much more, what do you say when you sit down with them in the locker room? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to find out where they are mentally. Uh, I had a boy who was just a wonderful athlete, but man, he was always just pushing the limit, you know, always just begging for another two laps or another 50 push-ups, you know, it's just always on the edge. And then one day we're at a, we're at a match about two hours away 
and he got severely injured. And when he was severely injured to the point the ambulance is going to have to take him to the, the hospital, I thought he might have broken his ankle. It was it was that bad. And I have to call the parents to get approval for him to be transported by an ambulance. And uh, his mother didn't answer the cell phone. So I had to call her work number. And he's, he's like, coach, please don't call her work number. Go, what do you mean? Don't call her work number. Uh, I said, I have to. Oh, coach, I'm fine. You know, I won't go to the hospital. You can't call her work number. And when I finally called, it was a gentleman's club. Uh, I won't go any deeper into it, but the, what she did with the family situation was not good. There was a stepfather with, you know, issues. Uh, just to keep it clean, you can use your own imagination here. But here was a boy who was looking for me for um, mentorship and guidance and, and, and discipline. And all I was doing was yelling at him. I wasn't truly disciplining him. him. I was just doing what, you know, all coaches with a whistle do. 10 more laps, hit the showers. Well, today he graduated three years ago. And today um, he's the one who reaches out and calls me constantly and, and reaches out. And while he barely made it through high school, he has now applied for and it looks like he's going to be accepted into Northern Illinois University and going on into a law degree. Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of an extreme case. But as an athlete, the one thing that, you know, he would always, always give 100%, but then he always had this, uh, what word am I looking for? This, uh, it's, it wasn't a mean streak. It was just a practical joker streak that he couldn't, he couldn't control at the wrong time. You know, his jokes were probably funny if they were done someplace else, but they were always out of, out of context and out of place. But with, with athletes and with all athletes, I believe if you can sit down with them and just help them be the best that they can be. You know, sometimes I'm sure you're familiar with the Peter principle in business. Uh, a person gets promoted to one level above their ability. Uh, it Sometimes we take an athlete and we can see that they have all the physical tools, but we don't understand that maybe they don't have all the mental tools to, to work at the level that they're, you know, their, their body is probably capable of. On the flip side of that, you may have an athlete who's just a brilliant athlete and, you know, he sees things, he anticipates things well, but he doesn't have the physical tools to get there. Well, I'll take that athlete any day because I can get him in the weight room. I can get him in the, you know, out on the turf. I can develop him athletically, but on the, on the other end of that, um, some of these, you know, specimens of athletes that don't have the, the, the mental tools to, to be in the game at that highest level, you have to, you just have to understand, especially as a high school coach, you know, if you're a college coach or professional coach where you can go out and recruit the athletes you want, that's one thing. But as a high school coach, you have to play with the hand that you're dealt. And sometimes that's a lot more difficult. Uh, it's easy to coach a group of studs. It's much more difficult when you got, you know, five studs and, and five also runs and you're trying to put them into a, a team. I love it. Now, coach, um, my last two questions, how do we find you? How do we get in touch with you? And how can we interact with you? Well, uh, you, you see my, my name is Tim coach, Papa Stewart, and that's my email address, Tim at coach Um, it's, uh, it's simple. Most of my interaction is through LinkedIn. That's where I know we've connected. Yep. And met. 
Um, but my Facebook pages, everything, if you just search for Coach Papa, and uh, you know, if you put my name, Tim Stewart, you'll, you'll find me. Um, there's you know, di no difficulty there. When, uh, you know, when I'm working with people or athletes, I'm really not a, a coach for the stars. I, I'm a coach for the, uh, the underdog. I love taking a, a young man or a young woman or, you know, even a, uh, they may not be young in age, but young in business and in, in the business side, somebody who's new to business, who's you know, worked in corporate America for 25 years. I love working with them and helping them, you know, succeed and, and begin to understand that the world is such a, a great place for them and, and, and help them find their place in it. I love it. So now last question. Um, we live in a crazy world right now. You know, I'm, I'm out in New Jersey. So um, because of our amazing governor, uh, we're going back on lockdown, I think. And so we got parents, have, a lot of parents lost their jobs driving for Uber, DoorDash. So they're not even home for their kids a lot. So and, you know, and they want to you know, improve their kids life some way. Um, so if there's a parent listening to this. What is something they can do in the next 24 hours? Because like I just did a post today, you know, because I interviewed talking about adolescent suicide, you know, that on average 5,000 adolescents attempt suicide every day. Because, and so if there's a parent out there that knows their kids would benefit from sports or um, from, from coaching, um, what can they do in the next 24 hours to maybe start to get their kids involved and in coaching and athletic? Well, boy, you don't, you don't have simple questions, do you, Richard? Never. That's why I'm the male Oprah. So. The, uh, the car. The, the first and best thing you can do is to love them no matter where they're at. Um, a, a friend of mine had, uh, I won't go into the whole story, but he had said he was never getting married. I, I said, you didn't say never, did you? And he, he said, why? He said, well, the never curse means you're going to meet her within the next six months. Four and a half months later, he met Kathy, but they're professionals. They're never having children. I said, did, you didn't say never, did you? And he swore at me. Uh, but it was about a year and a half later that Will was born. I wrote this poem and I gave it to him and I, I framed it and put it out. And it said, this, this baby came and changed your lives. The way the world changes at dawn. Those infant years were so much fun. Then just like that, they're gone. The primary years were also fun. Our carefree is a wild fun. But those years also passed. And just like that, they're gone. And now high school is the place to be, but they don't want you along, or so they say they really do. Then just like that, they're gone. Now after college or off to war or off to write a song, this child came and changed your lives. Then just like that, they're gone. This is a cycle that life goes through. As long as nothing in life goes wrong, bring in drugs, accident, or illness, then just like that, they're gone. So take the time to love them for who they are, not what they've done. One minute they're in your arms, and just like that, they're gone. So, I, you know, I use that poem to answer your question. The first and foremost thing you you need to do is is love them. Number two is stop trying to change them. Find out what makes them tick. We as parents, we as coaches, uh, we as managers, we can see what needs to be changed. But until they're ready to change, all we are is a, a clanging gong. Uh, a, a conflict waiting to happen. Find out what what makes 
them too. There was a, um, a guy was talking to our church the other day, and he said this mother came and she's been trying to get her kid to go back to church. He says I've offered to give him rides, and I, you know, I've told him when the church times were, and I, you know, I've sent the link so he can watch it online. And finally, uh, he said this lady got down on her knees and said, "Lord, please remove every obstacle for my child going back to church," and she disappeared. We sometimes are the the problem. We need to have a conversation, a, a real conversation with our kids to find out what's going on in their life, what's going on in the world, what do they want to do. Uh, we may want them to be a soccer player, but they may want to play the tuba. We've got to have those real conversations, and we have to um, we have to connect with them, reconnect with our children, because as you said, you know, especially with with two parents working two and three jobs and and nobody. So we're not having conversations. It's coming back to text messages. Did you get your homework done? Did you clean your room? Uh, you know, WTF, mom, why are you bothering me? And it, it, it's, it becomes a real issue. We, we have to turn off the electronics. We have to sit down, have a real conversation. And in that conversation, if you'll lead with love, you'll be able to get those kids um, back up and on track. I love it, coach. Coach, I just want to say thank you for everything you do. Um, it's a pleasure being in your circle and uh, I'm, I'm loving what you're doing and I can't wait for your books to come out because I know whatever you're going to put out, is going to be fire. So, um, I just appreciate you guys. If you're listening to this, leave a comment, leave a review, let it, let us know that we're doing our job to help change the world. One child and one parent at a time. Coach, thank you so much for everything. Absolutely. Uh, my sign off always goes like this. My name is Tim Stewart. They call me Coach Papa. And I do approve this message. God bless. Travel safe. Make this your best day yet. Now get off the bench and get back in the game. I love it. God bless, brother. God bless. Talk soon. Hey, guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee. And, and it will it will get you moving in the morning. So guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.